Good morning, good evening, good afternoon, everybody out there in podcast land. You are in tune to another episode of Intrinsic Motivation from a Homie's Perspective. This is Hamza, and I'm really excited about our guest today. And to be honest, I actually reached out to our guest maybe more than a month ago. And what we're going to talk about, I thought it would be over which I'm sure a lot of people have, <laughs> and that's why she's laughing. Uh, we're going to talk about social distancing, but not just social distancing. We're going to talk about how social distancing doesn't mean social isolation, and what does that mean with people who are older or with underlying medical conditions, because they risk the severest consequences from the coronavirus, but they're also most at risk for social isolation. So our guest today, Dr. Lori Archibald, she's a geriatrician in Virginia, and she's going to explain ways that seniors can avoid catching the virus but still stay connected with others. And without further ado, I'd like to welcome Dr. Lori Archibald to the podcast. Welcome. Great. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah, I guess the, you're probably hearing this more than I am, but yeah, like I said, maybe a month or so when I reached out to you, initially, like most people, I thought this would be over. I thought it would be a week or a couple of weeks, and now we're already a month in, and um, it looks like it's, I don't really want to say that we see the, the light at the end of the tunnel, because <laughs> there have been arbitrary dates before, and they always pushed them back. Yeah, I think we're, we're definitely living in a time of a lot of unknown uh, and uncertainty, having new experiences that we've never had before. Um, there are things that we know, there are things that we don't know, but, but certainly focusing on how to uh, adjust our daily life and the changes now is an important part of what we need to do. Yes, and we don't usually talk about politics on this podcast, but I think it actually kind of goes into with the social distancing and social isolation with the fact that your governor has just declared a uh, holiday for the election. And so if we're social distancing, uh, there were some concerns that we wouldn't be able to vote. And I think that Virginia may be leading the country as to a way that everyone will have uh, their needs met to make one of these life-changing decisions in November. Well, voting is definitely a very important part of, of, of all of our experiences, and so we need to make sure that our voices are heard, and we need to make sure that our government allows us to do that. Absolutely. And, and uh, the, the largest voting block are the elderly. And so uh, we, could t we, don't, we could talk about that uh, briefly. I, I do want to talk about your position, and then we can get into social distancing. So as a geriatrician, uh, what does that mean per se? What is a, a day in the life of Dr. Lori Archibald? Sure. So, uh, so as a geriatrician, I take care of patients that are over 65 in the geriatric population. And that's an increasing number in our population in terms of the percentage of, of people who are getting older and not just over 65, but really over 85, 95, and even in the, the hundreds. Um, and so uh, as a geriatrician, I provide primary care. So also as a trained internist focusing on chronic conditions, uh, as well as particular geriatric-specific conditions uh, as a subspecialist, including falls, polypharmacy, that's number of medications, maybe functional decline or cognitive incline, different changes that may come with aging as well as healthy aging and how do we do that. Um, and so those are the issues that I manage in my outpatient clinic as a primary care provider, but also as a consultant 
helping to focus on those particular issues with patients and their families. Um, in our clinic, as well as in hospitals, in long-term care, and, and skilled nursing facilities as well. Sure. Thank, thank you for that. Uh, you were going to continue? I was just going to say, so a day in the life can vary, and it's one of the beautiful things about it. Uh, geriatrics is a um, holistic approach to care, and so there's no one-size-fits-all type of model for geriatric care. And so every patient um, has their own health beliefs, their own goals of care, their own set of conditions and how aging is playing a part. And so there's no kind of one typical way that we do geriatrics. We, we do geriatrics in a way that works best for each patient. Sure. That leads me to my first question because you said, you know, 65 up to 105 and decades ago, generations ago, the life expectancy didn't go that long. So is 65 the new 50? Well, in some ways, and in some ways, the number doesn't really matter, right? I mean, um, I'll have patients in clinic and, and we'll be making a plan and really the plans are based on their function and their goals. Um, and some of those Patients are 85, 95 with high, high levels of function, uh, and we're focusing on healthy aging. Other patients may be 67 and have a lot of chronic medical conditions and really have a lot of functional limitations with that. Um, and so many of my patients, um, I joke with them sometimes that I don't even know how old they are because it really doesn't matter. The number doesn't matter. What matters is what's your function and, and what are your goals for life. I love that. I, I want to stay in that vein. Uh, I love the 85 and 95 and uh, grandparents and great aunts and such. They were all 85 plus before they transitioned and they, they did have that healthy disposition. So you said um, it's their healthy function in their mindset. Uh, what are you seeing as far as the difference between the 85 and 95 year olds versus 65 with regards to outlook? I think every person is different. I, there really is no kind of broad generalization that I would make. Um, I think some of, the, some of the differences we see is just in different life experiences in terms of kind of generationally what people have lived through. Um, but, you know, a, across the board, I think people have, you know, similar, similar goals, similar beliefs, and, and unique ways of viewing the world. Sure, because I'm thinking if they have a, a high disposition, as you mentioned, that something like this, uh, it doesn't matter the age also, you know, some per a 65 year old may say, well, I guess it's my time on social distancing and, and maybe this is the end and the 85 may have a different outlook. Maybe. But each, each person is different based on just the number. Um, I think that different people have different approaches uh, to social distancing. What we do know is that social distancing, which, you know, has definitely become a, new word in our vocabulary and sometimes a bit of a buzzword, but what does it really mean? Uh, what it means is, you know, st staying apart physically from other people so as to prevent the spread of the novel coronavirus. We know that it's transmitted through direct contact in terms of droplets that come out when we sneeze or cough or in the environment. And so by removing ourselves from that physically helps to decrease that transmission transmission of the virus. Sure. And Virginia really, I mean, outside of the election, they haven't been on the news like uh, places in Florida, 
and, and some other places around the country where people were ignoring the social distancing and they were just going about their business, going to the beach and such. And uh, has it been more so uh, elderly population that they more so had gotten in the line or did it say, hey, you know what, I'm 65, 75, 85, I can do what I want? Well, I think that we uh, really had nice leadership from the beginning in Virginia in terms of uh, making clear decisions. Uh, so when our governor uh, made a decision to halt schools and then close schools, um, those were pretty quickly um, addressed uh, so that there wasn't a lot of questioning. We didn't kind of linger for weeks wondering, are we going back to school or are we not? But we really had a clear message from the governor and, and, and our administration uh, in our state about what were the plans and why is this important. Um, I like to think personally that helps because our governor is also a physician, um, but um, but certainly has has led the state with a very definitive voice, which has been nice and I think has allowed people to understand the importance of these changes. Uh, and while they are quite disruptive to daily life, they're very important in terms of the health of all of us uh, and need to be um, implemented properly. Absolutely, and and as a physician, uh, with the governor and with the medical background such as yourself, um, from an outside standpoint, like I mentioned initially, yeah, oh, a couple of weeks, I can do it, maybe a month. Uh, what are the side effects or the ramifications of isolation over extended periods of time? Yeah, so isolation uh, versus social distancing versus quarantine are three words sometimes that in everyday language we use interchangeably but really have different meanings. Uh, quarantine is a very specific term used when somebody is infected. So somebody has a virus and has to stay quarantined physically away from everybody for that 14 days or so. Social distancing is that concept we talked about a little bit before that we're trying to remove ourselves physically from other people to prevent virus spread. Social isolation is a term that's not new for this pandemic, but refers to you know, being alone, being isolated both physically and perhaps mentally and socially from our general community or, or, or those around us. Um, and so we've had research and studies for years that have shown the health risks associated with social isolation, um, both physical health as well as mental health, and social isolation, being isolated from other people can have a lot of negative effects on our health. Now, before COVID-19 and before our pandemic, social isolation was something that we really fought against in geriatrics on a regular basis because perhaps as we age, if we are losing function or perhaps mobility or transportation ease, uh, then we may become more and more withdrawn and more isolated. And so trying to find ways to still be engaged with our community is something that as geriatricians we really focus on in care of our patients. Now, times have changed with the novel coronavirus and COVID-19 to say, well, we can't, you know, encourage everybody to, you know, engage in, in other activities physically with people. We need to be separated. So how do we balance that social isolation with the social distancing? So, so making that distinction is really important um, to make sure that we're um, physically separated from people to prevent virus spread, but that we're still socially connected 
with people to make maintain our our optimize our physical and mental health. Mm-hmm. With regards to the social isolation, uh, the, the initial thought is yes, uh, yes, I'm by myself or I'm alone. Um, and there, there, there has been, you know, each state is different in saying that, you know, you can't congregate in crowds of more than 10. So do you kind of play with that number or just as being an older person or dealing with the older people, you want to make sure they're by themselves? The goal is to really minimize contact with any, and there's, you know, 10 is kind of a number that's been put out there, but as, as minimal as possible, so really to a household. Um, you know, if there's somebody that lives with you or, or a couple of people. Um, but to come up with new and creative ways to stay in touch with people that don't require being physically in the same space. Um, so, you know, whether that be um, using technology, um, some of the audiovisual platforms that we have, like Zoom or FaceTime or lots of other ones that exist um, that can be uh, used by people to keep in contact from a visual standpoint, being able to see somebody and hear somebody. Uh, those are great if you have the technology and you're able to use it. Now, not everybody's able to do that, either have access to it or have the, the tools to, to use them. Um, so, you know, a, a, a landline house phone or a flip phone work just as well in terms of keeping in contact with people. So, so calling people or calling you know, members of your family or members in your neighborhood that may be older, um, calling and, and checking in on them, not just to see how you can help, which is important, but also just to touch base and have just social conversations, just to check in um, and to, uh, to have those human connections is still important. Yeah, one of the biggest takeaways of, of going through this is the interaction with people that, I'll, I'll use a personal example, uh, I've been speaking with people I haven't spoken to since high school, right? So we're talking 20 plus years. You're like, wow, you know, and you're catching up and you're like, wow, where did time go? It reminded me of, of the your yearbook, you know, don't ever change. <laughs> then you never see him. <laughs> so I was wondering as a cop, are you now seeing that? You know, I, I will say I, I was speaking with my own mother, um, who is in a different state than where I am, and, and she was mentioning the same thing. She was saying that she was kind of, you know, going through her address book, uh, literally, and, you know, flipping through to see people that she hadn't talked to in a while and calling them up. And, and she said that she felt more in touch with people now um, because all of, a lot of her family and friends are dispersed around the country and around the world. She felt more connected with people now than she had previously when everybody's just going through the motions of their day-to-day life, uh, really, you know, reaching out to people she hadn't talked to in years. And that that was, uh, you know, a nice kind of fun focus on the positive of what we're going through is being able to connect with people maybe you haven't had a chance to before. Right. And, yeah, and it's, a, it's great, isn't it? I mean, it's, <laughs> you're like, yeah. oh, we're going to stay in touch and, you know, years pass. And I wanted to get your take on that because, you know, in the latest news, and I know news, it's changing daily or hourly. You're probably seeing by the minute. But uh, the recent news that I had seen was uh, to pre- be prepared if we can ever be prepared for coming back in a stronger iteration in the winter. So it's like, well, it, when everything's lifted, it, we're not going to go back to normal. This is going to be one of those that will stick around as far as uh, quality of life. And I, I wanted to get your take on if you've heard that information 
or how do you keep your 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 uh, clients uh, upbeat if they're glued to the television all day? Well, I think there are a couple of things in that. Um, we don't know time frame, and we don't know seasonal responses. Um, there's some predictive models. There's some really good predictive models, but we'll, some of this that we'll just have to see as we go through it uh, and prepare. Um, you know, with that, uh, still trying to focus on quality of life, even if life is different. Uh, and so really focusing on the good parts of what's going on. I mean, there's a lot going on. There's a lot of really scary and anxiety-producing, you know, things in our daily life now that are, that are different from what we had, you know, a couple of months ago. Um, but there's still the good things. And so trying to balance that in terms of the news, for example, it's important to be informed, and we should all be informed. But for most of us, and at least the general population, we don't need an hour-by-hour hour or minute-by-minute minute update of you know, the latest number of cases and the latest outbreak and the latest this. We need to be informed maybe once or twice a day for a certain amount of time, but that mm-hmm. constant feat um, of the kind of continuous breaking news cycle can really be anxiety producing and not give us much additional information or added benefit. So one thing that I recommend to my patients uh, is to do a bit of a news diet to, to contain how you get your news, to be in control of when you're going to receive that information to be informed and not let it take over your whole life so that you can spend your day doing things that, that are safe and that you're informed about what safe is, but that are but that you also enjoy. It, it makes me think of uh, being a teenager, and I loved going to horror movies, one, because <laughs> probably most guys did, you know, because the girl jumps into your lap. But <laughs> outside of that, <laughs> you're like, here comes the scary part, you know. And uh, But one thing I noticed, like, late at night, you know, after you've gone to bed, you may have a nightmare that night. And as an adult, not so much watching horror movies, but I always noticed as far as like a, a electronic diet or TV diet of being mindful of what I watched before I went to bed because you're going to take that to you. And I was just wondering if you ever had any conversations with your patients. When you're talking about a news diet, it may be better to watch it maybe midday or the first thing, not the first thing when you wake up, but you definitely don't want to watch it right before you go to bed. Absolutely. And so um... – so really the kind of medical term that we often use is sleep hygiene, but basically it's just mm-hmm. allowing your brain to, to quiet down before you go to sleep. So allowing yourself to fully relax, to allow for a, a, a restful and deep sleep is really important. Um, screens in general uh, can disrupt our ability to, to quiet our minds for a good sleep. And so having time um, away from a screen before going to bed is a really important component of that in addition to the content that we may be um, absorbing during that time. If it's more stressful or more anxiety-producing content, then it makes it that much more difficult to relax or even, you know, can sleep into our self, uh, subconscious and get into our dreams. So, so really taking space from that to allow ourselves to relax, to allow ourselves to get a good night's sleep is really important. Um, in addition to bringing in other healthy activities throughout the day, making sure we're still getting exercise, right? So we, we may be um, not able to do exercise the way we would normally do it. We may not be able to, you know, go for walks in our city parks, or we may not be able to go to 
the gym or, or something, but there's still ways to be active. And so a lot of this is just re-examining what's important in our lives and then reconfiguring that in a way that is safe to do now. But it takes a lot of creativity to be able to do that. Sure. And I want to stay with the sleep hygiene for a second because I do find, I do have family members and friends and family that are older. And when you said Mm -hmm. sleep hygiene, they're not sleeping their traditional eight hours. You know, they may sleep periodically throughout the day. And is it, and you had mentioned the combination of exercise or lack of exercise. Are there specific exercises if you can't go out and go to the park that could perhaps enhance that sleep hygiene? So um, so part of normal aging is a change in our sleep cycle. So, so as we age, we may not sleep as long as we would earlier in life. Um, that being said, sleep is an important component of our health, uh, and so making sure we're getting adequate sleep is important. And so ways to do that, um, so decreasing screens is one way, so kind of putting space between the screens and when you go to sleep. Um, other things to consider are caffeine, so not having caffeine later in the day. There's no magic time to that. Everybody's a little bit different. Some people maybe not afternoon, some people maybe not after breakfast. Um, but, you know, being cognizant of the caffeine that we're ingesting and then specifically about exercise, um, there's no kind of magic exercise that make it, you know, that are better than others, but generally speaking, some type of exercise that you're able to do safely without hurting yourself that will get your heart rate up uh, for about 30 minutes five times a week is really the the minimum recommendations about exercise. So whether that be walking or stretching, chair yoga, um, those types of activities. Um, Sometimes you can watch videos. There are things that are on uh, TV at certain times, or maybe you can stream off of the Internet if you have access to that, um, that can walk you through different exercises depending on your um, your level of activity. But the key is to, to do it. To do something um, and to try to to be active for at least that thirty minutes a day. Sure, I'm kind of laughing because uh, I am on social media and all, and and people are talking about their lives before this happened, and then their lives afterwards. And afterwards is usually plus thirty plus or a hundred pounds because they're not doing that <laughs> exercise. So. <laughs> well, hopefully not. <laughs> Yeah, um, we're all it's hoping about not. rethinking, right? It's about um, not just stopping, but again, refocusing on what was what what is important in our life because we prioritized it before. We still prioritize it, and then how do we how do we make that work now, right? So we, mm-hmm. maybe we can't go to the gym and lift weights, but maybe we can be home and you know fill you know a couple of pails with some cans of food and, you know, kind of figure out what the equivalent weight would be and still do some exercises there. So um, so rethinking our activities is important. And not just sitting around and and eating because we're sitting at home, um, but also making eating schedules, right? So just because you're sitting next to your pantry doesn't mean you should be snacking all day. Mm -hmm. You can have, you know, meals and you can have scheduled snacks. Often when we're eating outside of that, we're eating because we're bored or we're eating because we're actually thirsty and we just aren't interpreting our body correctly. Um, so if we do feel hungry, thinking, well, am I really hungry or am I bored? In which case, maybe get up and you know, do some 
exercise in place or, or some, something to kind of move around a little bit, um, or my thirsty, go get a drink of water uh, and see how you feel after that before, before delving into the pantry and uh, getting something extra. Sure, and I, I, I agree with you about the bored or thirsty, but I also think if they're sitting watching TV, I know initially it, it's hard to not step away from it, right, because it's so new. Uh, but it, it, you find yourself in, the, in that rut, in that other uh, category, may be potentially having anxiety. And so yeah. when you said eating schedules is great, but it's you're, we're talking, this is the first time in our lives that we've experienced this huge shock to our daily lives. It's how do you jolt someone out? And then if you're dealing with, with an older population, Right, they were already slowing down per se. They weren't, you know, sitting in traffic for an hour to go to work and, and that type of deal. So how do you kind of shock them back into, you know what, life goes on and you have to go back to your eating schedules. You can't a- a gain this excess weight and you need to exercise and have some sense of normalcy. Well, I will say one of the most beautiful things about the patients that I work with um, is that they've been through a lot. <laughs> they've seen a lot. Um, and, you know, they're kind of used to adjusting and readjusting to changes that come with life. So, um, you know, it's hard to get to, to 90 and not, you know, have adjusted a couple of times in your life, <laughs> so to speak. Mm. So, um, so um, you know, so just um, stepping back and, and kind of gaining perspective um, is often actually not a challenge with my patient population uh, so much um, because they generally have had to adapt over their life over decades um, mm-hmm. and perhaps have had, you know, medical changes or physical changes uh, that have required, you know, more adapting as they get older. Um, so that particularly my population isn't as much of an issue uh, as in some other populations. I think that's a, a great point, Lori, because uh, it seems, and it's a generalization, so it's not across the board, but uh, there seems like uh, the elderly isn't considered in a lot of circumstances, right? And so it seems like this is a great opportunity, like you said, to reach out to that community and get their different viewpoints because they have gone yep. through different experiences where before we're like, oh, well, that's what happened in your time, it, and it doesn't apply, right? And so <laughs> we're probably missing out on, yeah. uh, on one of the best resources right in front of us. I I think that uh, our old, you know there's so much that we can learn uh, from each other and certainly from from those individuals in our community that have had more life experience than us and, and our our older population is definitely definitely a great uh, source of information and so um, I've heard people say before oh you know I'd, I'd like to call you know this person that I know but I don't know what I would say or I don't know how to make them feel better well it's not really about that it's about listening. Um, and just being present uh, to make that human connection. And so just just sit on the phone and, and listen to what they have to say and, and, you know, get some of their perspective in life. It's a, it's a great opportunity to be able to do that. Um, that's one of the ways that we're um, mobilizing some of our uh, medical student volunteers is to uh, connect with uh, patients and residents in our community um, who may be feeling more isolated now, either at home or in long-term care facilities uh, to, uh, to reach out to them and just have regular phone calls just to listen, just to you know, hear what's on their mind, just to make that connection uh, and have conversation uh, and learn. 
I am, well, one, I'm kind of sad because my, my little just turned 18 last week, and I'm in the Big Brother, Big Sister program. And okay. I've been with him for 10 years, right? And he's graduating oh, wow. this year and moving on and such. So I, I wanted to spend some time when you mentioned the volunteers. What time, mm-hmm. How do you set up expectation as far as commitment instead of, oh, I fed the homeless on Thanksgiving and I do it once a year? Well, I think that giving back to our community is really important and um, we can all give in different ways and uh, kind of at different levels. Um, with our students particularly, they um, really want to be involved in this pandemic and clinically aren't able to. Um, and so they you know, have a lot of desire to ha- become deeply involved in volunteering uh, and giving back. And so that's definitely um, kind of a sense in them that we foster. Um, I think that um, you know, we, we can all give at different levels and being really reflective as to perhaps now we may have more time in our hands and maybe we can use that to um, volunteer in either official programs um, or in more informal ways. But there are a lot of people in our communities now with these changes that really need help. Um, and simple things can be very helpful and very effective and impactful in their lives. So just reaching out, there are a lot of, I know, local organizations that are growing up as well as national organizations um, and a lot of people in need. And so there's, there are ways that can be pretty easy to reach out and, and find a way to help. Sure, because if you're introducing a population, your patients to technology and such, <laughs> they might get a text saying WID, what are you doing? <laughs> You're like, yeah, so that generally doesn't work. I mean, I don't like to make generalizations, but I will tell you myself, I don't know what that text would mean, right? So right. <laughs> definitely, definitely break our generational norms when we're, you know, broadening our horizons. I think our society in general is very singular, gener- you know, we kind of, deal with maybe one generation up and down. We don't kind of have an intergenerational approach to life, and that's a Mm -hmm. lot. We're missing a lot with that. And so developing intergenerational relationships um, teaches a lot, both about different people and different life experiences, but also what we consider as the way is just one way, and being able to expose how somebody else thinks about it is a really really important life lesson. but uh, but we do remind our students to not at least initially text their their uh, their connections their 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 partners um, with abbreviations. Some some of mm-hmm. our patients will be very savvy in that and do it, but others will not. So go in with full full conversation sure. speaking first, <laughs> and then if sure. it transitions to text, and then if it transitions from there, fine. But that's not the expectation. And don't no, text I'm... me in abbreviations because I don't know what. I mean, you've been giving a lot of uh, great information uh, in the short period of time, but one of the biggest takeaways is the intergenerational relationships. And I think that it should be highlighted. You know, I have a background in marketing and such, so I'm just wondering if this is an opportunity either with your institution, you know, in different states to kind of have that marketing story out, and, and, and then I think it would actually balance the news. I mean, if the news is all doom and gloom, that's what turned a lot of people off. But we're saying in the midst of COVID-19, 
we've grown intergenerational relationships, right? And this is the way we were able to do it. And it could be, that could be something catching, like I'd want to catch that. <laughs> I love it. I'm in. Yeah. 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 I think that's important to, to, to build that, to highlight that, and to share those stories. I think that's a really important piece. We, we often hear the, the negative too much and maybe get that little blurb at the end of the good, good story, but the good stories need to be highlighted too. Sure. And I'm, I'm uncle in training or grandpa in training, right? And so it's one of those where I can see when you get around for the holidays, uh-oh, uncle's going to say something, <laughs> you know? And so I'm sure your patients probably found themselves in that situation. And then, they, you know what? Mom's the word. They don't say anything. And, and what we're saying is if we explore these intergenerational <laughs> – I'll get it out at some intergenerational. point. Intergenerational. Thank you. Intergenerational. Intergenerational. Thank you. <laughs> so I'm going to take a linguistics class after this podcast. So, uh, so anyway, I think that the older generations usually clam up and they're not as forthcoming with communication if they feel that they're not seen or heard. And it's, like you said, it's an opportunity to exploit, you know what, uh, because there are, I know in the construction world uh, before all this happened, at least here in Georgia, they've been growing, and I've seen it in Florida. So uh, at least in the southeast, they've been growing a lot of these long-term care facilities, you know. And we're, we're like you said, we're aging population, we're getting older, and a lot of people are going to miss opportunities if we don't have those relationships. So this may be, you know, one of those, oh, aha moments that nobody ever thought about until a situation like this arose. There you go. A little bit of the, the sunshine amongst the darkness. Absolutely. Well, intrinsic motivation from a homie's perspective. Intrinsic motivation. Perfect. <laughs> <laughs> so what are, some, what are some other things? You were talking about Zoom and FaceTime. What, what are some other things that you've introduced to your patients to um, connect them to so they don't feel that social isolation? Well, I mean, you know, in all honesty, I'm, I'm not introducing much to my patients. I'm more so learning about what they and, and the creative people around them are doing. I mean, we have multiple um, long-term care facilities that, that we work with here in our local area that have activities directors. And those activities directors are typically the person that, you know, schedules the trip out to the museum or the, um, you know, the kids' concert that comes into the facility or art classes or a variety of different things and uh, make the social activities. Well, those aren't possible now with social distancing, right? There's no going out in the community and there's no coming into the facility. Um, and so, you know, so many of our activities directors have been so creative in coming up with ways to still engage residents in the facility uh, in ways that are safe and, and, and appropriate for, uh, for the times that we're living in. Um, so we've seen things like doorway bingo, where people can sit in their doorway so they're separated from each other in space, but in the center of the hall, the activities director can still be calling bingo. Um, or uh, having uh, schedule, you know, the activities directors can sometimes schedule FaceTimes with the families, so families aren't able to visit in the facility uh, because of the different um, regulatory changes with, with the infection, trying to um, decrease the risk of infection coming into the community, um, 
scheduling time with FaceTime to, to be able to help people that maybe don't have access on their own or aren't able to maintain that uh, as the resident, but being able to facilitate that with, uh, with their families. Um, there are a lot of um, different resources that uh, have been uh, brought together by um, AMDA, which is the American Medical Directors Association Society for Post-Acute Long-Term Care, that um, lists the different um, streaming operas that you can get online or the, tour, the virtual tours of different zoos around the country that are doing different animal exhibits online uh, as they're not having visitors and then being able to access that um, in facilities or you know, as part of an activity in, in a group type setting home is, uh, is a great way. So there's been lots of creativity uh, around how to bring enjoyment in the day when we can't necessarily get together the same way. Uh, absolutely. And I, I've noticed that a lot of, of the cable companies, the, the, the paid streaming networks, they're all free during the pandemic since everyone's home. So those are opportunities to experience, like you said, these different tours that you may not have done otherwise. And then one thing that I, I've experienced, I think it was about a week or two ago on Zoom, someone was broadcasting a movie and then everyone logged into that room and then you can kind of talk to the screen like some of us do when we go to the movies. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's fun. <laughs> yeah, and I'm just thinking, right, like if, if your patients got into that, right, it's that movie night, but it's from a technology standpoint where, you know, these are new experiences and hopefully we can get back to, you know, girls jumping in our laps watching a horror movie. But until then. Well, I don't know if I condone that, but in other cases, <laughs> other group activities. Well, I was, was kind of tongue-in-cheek because the long-term care facilities have been hotbeds even before <laughs> all this happened. Well, well that's, that's for another day. That's for another day. Um, but, but there are a lot of creative ways to use those integrated technologies. I mean, I will say with, um, with my uh, – in-laws, large family, um, over the holiday weekend, um, we had about a 60-person Zoom uh, in which we had a little bit of a dance party. So put on the music through one person's speaker, and then everybody kind of danced. And then we just chatted for a couple of hours in chaos. Um, but it was fun. Mm -hmm. You know, we couldn't mm -hmm. otherwise get together. And so it's just kind of rethinking, uh, again, you know, really focusing on those priorities that we have and how can you be creative to re create those in the in the limitations that we have now. Do you think that will be part of the new normal? And the reason why I ask that question is um, I'm Generation X, right? So I'm kind of in the middle. But I remember it was about 10 years ago, and our, my generation kind of balked at the, uh, what is it, Generation Y, from like going out on dates or just having social activities and then they would bring the phone out. Like we could never imagine bringing out the phone out because you're mm -hmm. experiencing it. You know, you're supposed to experience the in-person, in real life type of deal. And now it seems like with Zoom and these FaceTimes that it could be the new normal if, tra if travel's limited, right? If it comes back in the winter, we're talking the holidays and grandma and grandpa can't leave the long-term care facility, but they can still be a part of the, the Christmas dinner, if you will. Yeah, and I think the key is really maintaining human connections, right? So whatever types of limitations 
get thrown our way, the resiliency of the human spirit is, well, how do we still stay connected and involved in the communities that we love? If that has to be Zoom or some other platform like that, well, for now, so be it. Um, hopefully not forever, but, but for now and in the, you know, the little future that, that we can see, we'll, we'll do that. Um, but the key is to, to stay connected and to, to stay involved in the lives of the people that mean something to us and to, uh, to reach out to those who, who may be more lonely. Sure. And I'm going to try it one more time so my fingers are crossed. Intergenerational relationships. Yay! <laughs> yes, and I, I was I, I was bringing it up because you know I just kind of did like a tug in cheek about Generation X and Generation Y, which is a ten year difference. But you're dealing with people from sixty five to eighty five, ninety five. I mean, those are those are large numbers too, as far as experiences. Mm-hmm. And is there any chance or do you create opportunities where they can collaborate and get together and socialize and learn from each other? Well, uh, we kind of have ways that we used to do it. (laughs) And then, um, you know, ways that we do it now. uh, Some of our patients live in long-term care facilities, and so facilitating those activities within within the facilities um, or, or communities. Uh, these aren't all kind of one building. Some of them are, are kind of sprawling communities. Um, and uh, it's, um, it's fun to see. It's, it's interesting in, in my world, uh, the kids that I often see in clinic are actually, you know, often in their, their 60s, maybe 70s, and the parents that I see might be in their 90s. Um, and uh, it, it's fun to think about that, that, you know, they may refer to them as their kids, but they are, you know, perhaps grandparents or, uh, you know, distinguished in, the, in their own in their own right. Um, but uh, but we definitely see, um, you know, kind of across different generations, even within our geriatric population. I think it's it's important to not just kind of group older people all together as kind of one conglomerate thing. Um, mm-hmm. You know, people that that have lived uh, longer lives. Have all have different experiences and, and have different life experiences, even within a generation or within, you know, a location. Um, and so everybody has an interesting story to tell, and it's fun to be able to, to learn about their stories. Sure. And, and from the outside, of course, as an outsider, I always looked at long-term care as going to college again. And so would you say that the 65 to 70 year olds are undergrads and the 85 to 90 that's grad school? Uh, I don't know. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I'll, just, I'll have to groove on that one a little bit. I'll have to groove on that one. <laughs> sure. <laughs> when you said life experience and, and there is a, a tendency to gravitate around your own or people that are like you like oh you're 71 now you got to hang out in that group and i was just wondering if that continues on or you know all that gets thrown out of the window yeah i think it's it's less like that you know the older that we get that we kind of gravitate to people who um you know who we either have shared interests with or common experiences or enjoy being around even if they're different than us um, and want to learn from, 
Uh, and so I think it's less about kind of the number or the kind of click uh, that may be external, and it becomes more about kind of the connections with other people. Uh, okay. So you don't have to pledge again or anything like that, do you? <laughs> Not that I'm aware of. <laughs> no, I, and I appreciate you, you know, just humoring me and, and making light of a very <laughs> serious situation because, you know, I think looking back, you know, you're always supposed to stay in the present. But just this conversation is if someone closed their eyes and were listening to this instead of watching the news at the end of the night, they would just think of, oh, wow, these are different things I can do as I'm older and, 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 and have a, a fulfilling life in any moment, not just during a pandemic. It's just something that brought us together, but we always get something out of it. And the lightheartedness is probably part of the resiliency. It's part of the resiliency and being able to thrive in any environment is the beauty of the human spirit, right? To be able to find joy and love, compassion, empathy, regardless of our own personal circumstance is uh, an important part for, for, for fulfillment and happiness. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I, I, that's the last part I was just thinking with, with these facilities continuing to grow. Uh, is, are there partnerships, not so much partnerships, but collaborations with different facilities uh, before the pandemic, of course, but even afterwards as far as, well, they're doing, again, I'm probably thinking university level, but, you know, this is what they're doing over at that house, and we need to have that and collaborate, and, and that's the way that uh, activities can continue to grow and as far as ingenuity for filling up the time. Yeah, no, I mean, it's an interesting concept. I, I think that, you know, if the activities directors out there listening, then maybe they've got a new challenge on their hands. <laughs> putting people to work. <laughs> <laughs> no, I appreciate it. And it, I think the underlying theme was that social distance doesn't mean social isolation. Like life goes on and, yep. We're going to be resilient, and all, all things come to pass, and we'll get through this. And so I, I definitely appreciate you taking your time to talk to our, our, our listeners about what they can do, what we can do. You know, we can reach out to the elderly in our communities and, and be part of that. I'm going to do it again. Intergenerational relationships. <laughs> yeah, twice. Oh, my goodness. Wow. But, you know, you got it, it. it's just Yes, I, I think yeah. it's just the, the um, intrinsic motivation that we all have, and some may feel like, hey, well, what can I contribute, like you said? And one of my takeaways from speaking with you was just the opportunity to listen, right? We all want to be acknowledged and listened to, and we might learn in the yeah. process. Yep, absolutely. So, yeah, so I, I definitely thank you for that. Um, is there any question that I didn't ask that you wanted to get across to the listeners that we should be aware of? No, I think that this has been a very enjoyable conversation and, and hopefully has brought some light to, to some of these dark times that we have uh, with us right now. And I've really enjoyed speaking with you and thank you for the opportunity. Absolutely. Well, you have just been in tune to another episode of Intrinsic Motivation from a Homie's Perspective. This is Hamza. Dr. Lori Archibald, it has been a pleasure. Let's stay in touch. Great. Sounds wonderful. Thank you very much. Thank you.